1: What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining me off the record once again. So, you know how we do business up front. If you haven't already, subscribe uh, on Acast or iTunes and go and check out the back catalog of the pod. There's a lot of cool stuff. We got Ricky Gervais, Scroobius Pip, two live Goldie joints waiting for you just there. My man, Tim Latham, the international sound pip and badass producer of Tribe, De La, and the fun-loving criminals. We've also got New York Times bestselling author and bona fide badass, Jen Sincero, as well as musical legends like Arthur Baker, DJ Uncle Mike, and DJ Jai representing Brizzle. And a dude named Dana Brunetti. Now he had a little show called House of Cards with some movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and Captain Phillips. You might have heard of those. He's my man. He's a movie producer. Anyway, we got lots of good stuff for you to tune into, so make sure you do that. Okay, business first, party second, let's do it like a mullet. <laughs> On to my guest this week. I've worked with this guy on five seasons of the cult National Geographic show called Drugs Inc. His name is Chris Lent. He's the British gent who finds his way into some of the most violent drug dealers, gang members, and hardened criminals' houses. He's the producer of a show that taught me more about drugs than being a rock star ever could. As the narrator of Drugs Inc., I got the privilege of the inside scoop on some of the craziest shit that went down in the making of this show, and today talking with Chris on the pod I'm sure you can hear some of those stories coming out now this is another one of those episodes where you're really going to get behind the scenes from someone you might not usually hear from but who you definitely want to hear from so check it out my man Chris Lent producer of Drugs Inc on Huey Off The Record So anyway, I'm here with my man Chris, but yeah, I'm at, I'm at the offices. It's like a nice kind of conference room we're in, you know, and, uh, and you showed me the picture of the commandante with his mask on. Now, how long did we work together, like four years?
2: Uh, I think a bit longer, actually. Yeah. I think maybe around five, yeah. six. Uh, Drugs Inc. Uh, ran for uh, 2009, 2017, eight years, mm. and you came in season... Three.
1: Yeah, yeah, season three, yeah.
2: Yeah, so it's got to be at least five years, maybe yeah. five, six years.
1: Now, going back, because I don't really know the whole story, how did Drugs, Inc. start? Like, how did it, it get, I mean, if someone's idea to go, hey, let's talk to drug dealers or something, yeah.
2: right? Well, we, we, we started off, uh, we, were, we were making um, shows for National Geographic that looked... Slightly more historically, they were more retrospective stories, and we were looking at sort of organized crime histories of major American cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved on to work with uh, uh, doing a similar treatment, working with um, outlaw motorcycle clubs. Uh, that was a series called Outlaw Bikers. Uh, and but, those are
1: the Russian dudes as well, right? Weren't there some crazy Russian bikers?
2: That we didn't know. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We didn't get on to the Russians, <laughs> yeah. so we, we, we were sticking primarily to what's called the Big Five in the United States. So obvious names, um, but the stories were both sides. They usually focused around sort of uh, undercover operations that ATF uh, mounted uh, against uh, these clubs. Um, but we would we would tell the story from both sides, um, and they were but they were retrospective. And then uh, my boss who's not here anymore. Um, he moved on to greater things with, with, with another company. Um, but he came up with the idea, actually, of um, uh, why don't we apply this treatment of getting guys to talk to us and tell us stuff, but make it in the moment, present tense, mm-hmm. and also let's look at the drug trade. Wow. And I think he'd re- re- read a book about the sort of history of cocaine uh, which, which, uh, uh, you know, struck a chord with him, and he thought, well, well, could we take elements of this and broaden it? So the idea was, uh, we had no idea where, where, whether we we, we could uh, get people to talk to us. because yeah. uh, that's it, or, the trick, isn't it, to get yeah, anybody to talk to you? It's true, but I mean, we, we'd had some success, you know, uh, uh, reaching out to to, as I say, the, the, the biker clubs and and also to former mobsters and so on in these other organised crime uh, shows that we were doing, which a series called Underworld Cities. Um, uh, and uh, we'd had some success, but they're all retrospective. So these guys have done their time. Yeah. Maybe they've written a book, you know, or they've had a movie made about their life. Statue of something. Limitations. There's yeah. all that too. Yeah, yeah so, so it wasn't was the same deal as actually going and being with them while they're doing it. And... Um,
1: Excuse me while I shoot this guy. <laughs> yeah, kind of.
2: So, so uh, anyway, we, we put it together and we managed to uh, uh, get Nat Geo to go along with it. Um, and um, the f- first couple of series, we, the, the idea was you took a different drug, you know, cocaine or heroin or, you know, meth or whatever, and you, you made a film about the supply chain, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it was a number of discrete portraits of people who are along that supply chain they don't know each other but they all have something in common Mm -hmm. so whether it's the producer you know the opium farmer the poppy farmer in afghanistan or the the the, the guy trafficking the drugs or customs or police who are trying to stop the drugs or the paramedics who are picking up the pieces (laughs) the users uh, and of course the 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 dealers and the distributors and what have you as well you know so that you've got a sort of you didn't get a sort of linear story, or it goes from here to here, you know, make it like this, they move it here, they move it there, cops try and stop them here, etc. What you got was a number of portraits, mm. which reflected, as it were, the human condition. Yeah. Uh, and these people are all involved in some way. They may have very different takes on, on the drug and what they think of it, and they're all involved for different reasons, but they're all touched by it. That, that was the first uh, two seasons. And then we realized we were starting to run out of drugs.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're doing it, I guess if you're doing like heroin, cocaine, meth, pot, you know, it, you kind of run out, you know. But I remember, I mean, yeah, just tell me the story because I, there was one when we got the crocodile at one point. I was like, "What the fuck is this? It's crazy!" But yeah, I, keep...
2: yeah. Well, we we did revisit because obviously when we when we were we were. Uh, we're around long enough that, that you could then revisit some of the drugs which we did do because there was a big change i mean heroin particularly uh, as you know in the united states it's a it's a huge you know when we started in 2009 it was a a problem but it was essentially a sort of needle based street drug kind of bottom of the chain you know people didn't take it for fun it was you know etc and 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 in the course of about four years it it it, it not only exploded but it but 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 the the cartels sort of cynically rebranded it as a cool <laughs> recreational drug aimed at young people that you could smoke or snort you know and it's no longer a needle is it's left it's
1: not for bootin anymore right no. you know.
2: yeah wow so so we we were able to revisit that and some of the other uh, r- drugs also but 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 initially we ran out of after about 12 different drugs we we were getting down to very you know quite esoteric Drugs like GHB, which is a which is a club drug and you know not not hugely widely used in some pockets. Of yeah, so it, of. like
1: yeah, it's, it's it's sort of a workout drug or something. It's an
2: initially a workout drug? Is exactly.
1: that? I mean, I, I don't know much. You, you're the guy asking about drugs. What does GHB
2: do? Well, if you if you take a little bit of it, it's stimul. It's it's a stimulant. It's like. Okay. If you take a lot of it, it's like ketamine, and it will wow. just knock you sideways, you know, into oblivion. So you've got to get the the balance just right, which ketamine is the same, really, in that way. So you can use it in a club context, but just don't overdo it, because then you hit the hay hole So PHP is quite similar.
1: So so you started getting, I guess, revisiting things, right? And weren't you running the same people over and over again? Was that how it got together with the folks?
2: Uh, Well, um, the shows, those first two seasons kind of struck a chord i mean you know among our audience were people involved in the industry let's say and um <laughs> and uh, so that opened doors more that made it easier because it became our calling card mm-hmm. people knew you know I we're from
1: drugs in, like let uh, the door swing thing. wide for you yeah. yeah
2: well there was there was one example it was caught on camera where a, heroin dealer was being we, we did a show in Baltimore and this was actually in a suburb outside Baltimore um, different jurisdiction but uh, local sheriffs were busting a guy we were filming with them and they busted a dealer on the street and um, camera was there and director approach, you know, approaches do you mind if we film this the guy's like hostile at first no you know get that camera out of my face and and then and, and then the director says something about oh he's still giving him the spiel you know we're or oh, we're with national geographic television we're making this documentary and he said What nat geo what you you guys drugs inc or something <laughs> and and the guy's, uh, director of course says yeah we, we are Drugs Inc uh, we're making a show about Baltimore and he went Drugs Inc get out of here that's my favourite show <laughs> this is all on camera right this was in the show wow. in the end it's my favourite show uh, you you guys did a f- show on Miami it was right on the money that was oh, fantastic where do I sign and he signed the release and he gave us an interview <laughs> where do I well, sign well, and he, while he's while being he's been handcuffed on cops. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, he's oh, handcuffed Shining a torch in his eyes, see if he's lying. Any sign signing, and he's the, and paper he's signing the paper? And oh, he man. was. He was. And he gave a great interview, actually. Uh, where, where uh, you know, he was very friendly to us and really stoked to be approached by us, but also really quite re- regretful of his situation. And and you could see that yeah. change across his face as he as he came to consider and reflect on his position. Mm. Um, so uh, so it was. It was, a, it was a good moment but it, yeah it is kind of funny uh, that, that you know dealers know about shows. Police law enforcement also yeah um, Well that helped
1: you get to both of them really didn't it? As yeah. the show got more popular, I mean the thing about like we were, I remember being in the booth because I did the narration if people didn't know. but it's one of those things where you had to get the, the police officer's unit name perfect. Because that's that's their thing, you know. You have to yeah. you have to say their unit right. You have to make sure you get all that stuff. And and they were the guys that would give you the access to that side of it, right? Did it, yeah. Was it on like a? I'm trying to think of like the the right term. Was it on like a, like a level where they told their cops what to do, like a, I guess a departmental level, or were you just going to like dudes that were?
2: Well, you have to go through a procedure, obviously, and it, and it's it, it has to be sanctioned. Yeah. So they um, sanctioned you know, chain, all that stuff. There's huh? a chain of command. Yeah. And and you know and. Not not everybody does, and I mean I can tell you that 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 over overwhelmingly, as it were, you know, police on the street were always spoke very approvingly of the shows, but sometimes for all kinds of reasons, political reasons, whatever, mm. it, it might not suit, uh, the, the, you know, the brass to to mm. to sanction filming at a given time. Yeah. Um, uh, so it didn't always it didn't always come off, um, but but. You know, we were always grateful when we got the opportunity because, um, you know, the whole idea is to give everyone a fair shake.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I kind of took away from it being part of the show because I'd get there. I mean, I'd get to the booth where the show was pretty much already done, and whoever had had, I guess, directed the show, whoever's baby it was, had done like the rough uh, the rough narration, right. And it just seemed to me that it was so well-balanced. You never see things so well-balanced ever. Was that something you guys started to do from the outset? Yes. That was like the idea, right? Like yes. we're going to show exactly how it is. Yeah,
2: It's a 360-degree, you know, uh, unvarnished portrait of the reality of the drug trade and its impact and, and how it impacts on, on individuals yeah. who caught up in
1: it. Yeah. Just looking at that dude reminds me, like you were saying, when you caught that dude, in Baltimore, who's the heroin dealer? Say right, yeah. Let's call him heroin dealer number one, right? Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, drug zinc," and I guess in, in in later shows when people approach like dealers and cartel hitmen and things like that, they always seem to be like, "Yeah, you guys, you guys aren't faking. You know, you give us our side of the story." But when you, I, I the one thing I take away from is a lot of times when you see people who are the drug, the junkies, the the, the abusers of these drugs, right. And even some of the low-level dudes that's just doing just to get by kind of shit, mm-hmm. when they do get put, a mirror put in front of their face a lot of times, <laughs> like that dealer, right? Mm. They, you see this heavy remorse in them. Mm. And it, it's just kind of funny where, you know, you don't see that anywhere else really mm. in television. You don't see people actually coming to terms with who they are. Mm. You know, you try to in reality TV, but everybody's got like a little bit of a front going on. Mm. But when you're faced with like a stark reality like that, mm. it just seemed like that was the big one. And like... How, how would you approach like a cartel to to film and it would it be like how did you get this that guy for instance to talk was it the mask is that kind of the thing
2: well uh, the because there were, there
1: were some fucking funny masks and, yeah. I, and you did tell me a story that like you used to go to people's houses to film and they'd have their own masks so they didn't yeah. want your shitty mask they <laughs> had like yeah, the, yeah. the Mardi Gras mask yeah, not like it, just yeah.
2: The, yeah. the yeah I mean the masks came about it was, a, it was a kind of phase we went through we actually in the end sort of jettisoned it because it was getting a little bit out of hand but Mm. the the the, it it emerged from the fact we 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 did one of the uh uh kind of new fresh spins we put on the shows uh you know was we we moved from telling the story of of a specific drug to to the story of a specific specific city yeah um and then from there we developed that to look at events in a city like new year's eve Mm -hmm. or mardi gras in the case of new orleans or Um, July 4th uh, in the case of Chicago why because that's uh, the most violent weekend uh, of the year consistently and we figured there's got to be a reason for that Um, and uh, so Consequently, you know, we 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 were doing event-based shows, as it were, around a sort of ticking clock, as a countdown to New Year's Eve. And you know, is there? You know, everyone wants to party, everyone wants to get high. Uh, you know, how do the dealers react to that? Well, you know, you would then. You know, we then started. It sort of happened by accident that people were wearing masks, you know, that because they were going to a party yeah. or it was Mardi Gras, everyone wears masks. Mm. And we thought it was a good look and it was different uh, mm. from the, the bandanas and what have you normally see. Yeah. And so we went with it, but then it started, yeah, after a while it got old and we, we went back to bandanas. But the, the um, and to answer your, your, your other question about cartels, I mean, cartels, particularly the Sinaloa cartel, which... Um, we, with whom we 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 probably did most of our filming, not exclusively, but 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 mainly uh, in, in anything to do with Mexico. Um, they have they're very centralised. They have a chain of command. It's oh, really? quite, quite military uh, in a way. So any any cartel operative we spoke to that would have been cleared by his superior.
1: Really far. Yeah. So there is. So, isn't there a cartel that? Has had a military arm of all these ex special forces dudes in Mexico, and yeah. then the Knights Templar, I think they are.
2: No, no, it's Los Zetas. Yeah,
1: and then they took over and made they, they took over from the guys who hired them. They're yeah. like, you guys are soft. Boom. Yeah, right? that's Shit.
2: exactly. It's like it's like something out of ancient Rome. You know, they <laughs> See, were hired as a bodyguard. Yeah, uh, ex special forces and military guys. Uh, they the, the Los Zetas in in Spanish it means the zeros, mm. and. Uh, it comes from the police radio call sign that their leader was given uh, initially when he was still in special forces, and he was known as Z1 wow. or Z1. Uh, and, and that's where... So they became the Zs or the, the, the Zetas, wow. the, the Zeros. Um, and uh, and their, their first... There were 30 of them initially, and it was literally Z, Z1, Z1 through Z30. Um, and that, that they were known by those. By Take number seven, man. And um, uh, but 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 the key the key point you raise is is, is for me the heart of it really is, is what really makes these shows unique is you get to the dealers you you you, the, you anonymise them so so that, that, that you, nobody knows necessarily who they are. Um, and then you get them to talk. And as they talk, I believe, I've seen it many times in the shows, uh, they start putting into words stuff they've never actually put into words before, thoughts and feelings and reflections. And the thing is about these drug dealers is, you know, they're not monsters, they're not animals, they're human beings, and they're not stupid either. Uh, you know, that they may not have had the breaks in terms of schooling, uh, or education, or whatever, but they—they they are not stupid, and they—they they know what they're doing, and they—they they understand uh, the implications of what they're doing, and quite often they're conflicted about it. Well, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I think everybody kind of thinks that. I guess before drug they thought there was like a drug dealer type of human, like this kind of like zombie, you know. Terminator kind of mentality that they just want to sell drugs, fuck everybody kind of vibe. Yeah. But then when I started doing the show, that was like, that was the first thing that struck me. It was like, these people are like as human as anybody, you know, if even more so because when they're confronted with, you know, I guess themselves when they have the mask on, they're allowed to say things that they, I guess they wouldn't allow themselves to think or say. When they didn't have their masks, certainly not share. Yeah, definitely not share. That's the thing. It's also you know when you talk about cartels and things like that. You know, yeah, the the, the guys like you know El Chapo and people like that, and you know the, the hitmen who are like the seriously hard guys. But then I learned as you go down the chain, there's like you know they're like moms and stuff like that just happen to be you know in a position where they have to keep stuff in their garage or the house get blown up or something because you don't give you don't have a lot of options, especially if you're in certain parts of the world. And, like, we're lucky in the Western world. We have certain options we can get away with. But you go down to Mexico and and even different parts of, you know, like like Central America and things like that, it's very different, man. Life is cheap, man.
2: Mm. But, you know, even in the United States, you know, Mm. if if you're from a certain background and you're from a certain neighborhood, uh, your options are really limited.
1: It was Biggie Smalls said that, you know, you can play ball. You better have a wicked jump shot or sell the crack rock, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm
2: saying? True that. Yeah. The
1: one, the one, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was when, when the show first started, right? You guys were given was it was it like a because I guess Nat Geo was one of those networks, right? That tries to inform and teach and like tell people about the world, right? Mm-hmm. I thought the fact that Drugs Inc was on there you know it's, it's a cable network right so like all these people that have like all the drug dealers that watch it they got cable <laughs> so they gave you that bad off right but the network was behind it for the longest time and I remember like when it started ending people were like the, the people who were running the network were like yeah you know we know it kind of it's it's. I know it's the, the highest rated show but like we just it's you know I, I, was it the politically correct nature of television kind of pushing it out even though people liked it
2: uh, it's it was part of something much bigger yeah. you know Nat Geo changing their um, their whole style and and Drugs Inc was part of the previous style so so they you know they're now they're going for really big very ambitious uh, very high level um, projects that deal with very big subjects mm-hmm. you know like like human colonization of mars or the nature of genius or yeah. you know and, and 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 much more kind of cerebral topics yeah. and 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 a show which kind of unpicks the anthropology of essentially street crime
1: yeah
2: you know it doesn't fit with that with that look yeah. and and hey you know channels do that they rebrand yeah. themselves they refresh the brand just like we, we did as a series we we Changed and you know always gave it a fresh angle every year, you know, uh, as best as we could. So there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we, we you know we, we, we ran for eight years. I'm yeah, no, I'm not to, I'm not giving them, them a bad me. rap. But yeah. I, the,
1: the, the the thing that I, I kind of noticed was like people still hit me up on the social media all the time. Oh, what's up with Drug Inc,, Yo, what's up with Drug Inc. And it's like yo, you got eight seasons to watch Drug Zink, but now it's on Netflix as well, which is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. do you think it'll gonna have a, a resurgence of like I, I don't know what, what kind of TV show would you call Drug Inc if you had to call it like a Drug Inc TV show?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a true crime documentary, yeah. but there there are a lot of shows that deal with true crime, but there's nothing, nothing like this. It's unique. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I know as a guy, just as a dude, like, after doing, like, a lot of these shows, I come out of the, the vocal booth and just be like, holy shit, man. Like, I never... I, I rarely mess with drugs, but now I totally don't even... Because you see the, all the bad sides. Like, you know, people say, you know, okay, I'm going to... What was that dude... Uh, the dude in, in the Bronx who had those kind of like weird drinks that he'd make with a bunch of different liquors mm. what were they called knuckles or,
2: oh, oh god uh, you got me there those, those
1: were great man. Yeah. but it just it was like that guy was the only dude that didn't have a supply chain that shot all over the human race but everybody else you see like you know like for instance like the story of the cocaine where you got a farmer somewhere in Peru and he's got nothing and he sells what he's got and that's still nothing and just get him to the next week you know and then it starts getting you know the the key right the keys kept getting more expensive as you went through cross borders and then when you get from what was it like something like $12 or something like that in Peru to 35,000 or something like that when you get on the street yeah that's that, that's the thing i took away from it how how much drugs affects people who don't do them mm. you know and i think that's the i think that's something that 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 lesson cannot be be given you know, enough. I, yeah, exactly. I I, yeah. I I think that like that's a thing that people forget about. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, but that's kind of the way the world is. And it if you're always in your comfort zone, you're never gonna learn anything, right? Yeah,
2: that's true. And and you know, you know I mean hopefully we might be able to do it do something like it again, but I just don't know.
1: Um, and we did what was it? Uh, was it uh Underworld Inc., right? Yeah. That was great. That was like that was but that was some crazy shit. We talked about uh Oregon, Oregon's getting vicked out of people. yeah,
2: well, yeah it's, it was black market. Yeah, yeah. The same approach to, to you know, drugs are big part of the black market, but there are other things. Other things move in the black market too. Yeah. We just started looking at other areas of black market and activity. You know, the, uh, trafficking of you know contraband of one kind or another. Um, so it was it was a it was a natural step really to, to broaden out to that, and, and it did okay. it was, it was, it was good
1: or cart- do you think cartels are like the i guess are they the uh, the free enterprise of the 21st century
2: they they certainly uh they certainly quite consciously borrow from um the methods the strategies used by big business you know so uh that yeah they, they, they again they're clever dudes I
1: yeah, yeah I, you know, the people yeah. who, I mean, that guy El Chapo, I mean, he had, he had so many, I mean, he, got, he was escaping from jails with tunnels built under the jails. Everybody knew what was going on. I mean, yeah. for someone like, saying, oh, I didn't know they were building a tunnel under the prison. You're full yeah. of shit. You, yeah, know, of course, you know, that was course, there. It's, yeah.
2: it's a massive construction. Yeah. Huge, fantastic piece of precision engineering. Oh, yeah, like, uh, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, and, it wasn't like the great escape or anything. No, and, 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 you know, you build the thing. It's got air conditioning, electric lighting, and even a sort of railway track. Yeah, the motorcycle the the road motorcycle on the rail truck. I mean, that's for, and it's for one use only. Yeah. the whole thing one use just to get the dude out, just man. to get one guy out, and then that's it abandoned. And I mean, if you're dealing with that kind of infrastructure and that ability to organize, you know, you're dealing with something very, very major.
1: You know, I, I also find a lot of countries aside from Mexico like that could never happen with us. We're not that, you know, we couldn't have be that corrupt, but in reality, Mexico is just bad at hiding it. You know what I mean? It's like every other country's got so much nefarious things going on underground, behind the scenes that, you know, I don't think people want to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. They just, like, they wouldn't want to think that that shit's happening in, in the UK or in the US or anywhere. But it is, man. It is. And I think, I, I in a lot of ways, I think the fact that the drugs thing is kind of, it transcends borders and all that kind of stuff, right? But. Yeah. it's also one of those things where it's a microcosm, how everybody operates, man. You know, that's the the thing I took away from it as well. Like, you you see all these smart people with limited opportunity that somehow make it work, right? And, you know, I mean, growing up where I grew up, I always saw a lot of drugs and things like that. And that's one of the reasons I didn't do heavy drugs, because you see a heroin addict nodding out. And that person was fine two weeks before, a crack addict who just completely fell off. But I think Drugs Inc. probably helped a generation of people to not go down that road of drug abuse, right? I mean, they should give you a fucking medal for that, man. Well,
2: thank you. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, you I, know... I mean, you know, absolutely. If we, if we or at keep, least an OBE or something. <laughs> if, we, if we stop some, somebody going down that road, then we've done our job, really. Because, I mean, we're certainly not glamorizing drugs we show it as it is yeah. and you, you you draw your own conclusions no
1: we used to sit there while we were doing the takes and in between takes we're like holy moly and we'd have a little running commentary and i always thought that would be funny like you know if you had the box set of drugs <laughs> like saying the shit chris and huey talk about and <laughs> our boy luke you know our engineer like the shit we talk about <laughs> while sipping that coffee before i went in the box it, it was great stuff man i'd love that show. I, I think I know. I think, especially now where like, the whole idea I think I touched on a little before the, the idea of comfortability you know how people want to th- they don't want to watch stuff that makes them uncomfortable but mm-hmm. they kind of do anyway
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's almost like that car wreck kind of situation where they see a car wreck they're like don't want to watch it but they end up kind of slowing down and looking out the window mm-hmm. and afterwards they feel bad that they slowed down and looked out the window but they'll tell all their friends about what happened mm-hmm. I guess that that's a kind of an idea of what's going on with with drugs in this society today. I mean, because all oh, they got stuff like that, all that synthetic mm. opiate stuff. What is that, like fentanyl and oxycodone and things like that?
2: Well, uh, opiates, yeah. I mean, yeah. the pharmaceutical opi- uh, opiates are kind of responsible for for um, you know being a trigger for for, for the heroin that follows. Because when 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 there was a crackdown on getting hold of the pharma grade yeah. opiates the pills and what have you, then you know, cartels, what, cartels are right there. you know, holding he's up with the with bag a, of heroin just it, like this, man. Yeah, and you, you don't have to shoot, shoot it. it in your veins. Yeah. yeah, and you don't have to use the needle, exactly.
1: There's a dude I talked to who's a doctor. Uh, he, he, well, he's, he's a doctor in, in the UK, but he's also a guitar dude. And he had this thing where he was working for the Churchill Foundation mm. and he went to jails in the United States. So I think he did it like, it was like eight weeks or ten weeks, something like that. And he was... Uh, the doctor that saw the inmates when they first came in when they were D T N. So he had like within like a couple minutes figure out what kind of drugs they were on, how to treat them, and also you know just try to be a human being to them because a lot of times you know when you get put in the system like that and you're a drug arrest, it's not good for you. You know, and we were, I was talking I did a pod with him, and the one thing that struck me was like he's like ninety five percent of them were black, and it was it was weird because I know we got some static. From drug zinc, and I don't know if you did. You tell me about it. Someone told me about it. Where people are like, oh, you're just you're just targeting minorities on the show. It's like, no, we're not targeting minorities on the show. I think I said it. I was like, I think it's just that it's not racist to show what racism does to people, mm. and that's kind of the, the story that no one gets. They're always willing to be triggered, going, oh, all you do is show black people and, and brown people dealing drugs. It's like, no, no, no. Society has worked it so only black people and brown people get arrested for this shit, and that's kind of you know the thing that mm. that. I guess strikes a certain chord with me that I don't think people really got from drug things. It wasn't kind of you weren't exploiting a certain part of society. You were showing society that society is exploiting those people. You yeah. know,
2: we were holding a mirror.
1: Yeah, and that, sometimes that's the that's the hardest thing to watch. Right? Yeah, yeah I'm, for
2: sure, for sure. But you know, even beyond that, I mean, the whole drug thing is kind of it's it's uh, it's a tragedy, really. And and I think you you, you kind of feel that. And tragedy. As we know, is a key part of drama. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, Shakespeare made his name on it. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it is it is the thing that that, that that drives our storytelling, and you know, as a species, we're into storytelling. So yeah. TV is a is a great medium for for conveying the emotion uh, that, that, that underlies the kind of tragedy of the human condition, and drugs is, illustrates that, and the drug trade illustrates that in the modern world, you know, possibly more than anything else. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's wrong, it shouldn't happen, it traps people, uh, it confirms people in a, in, a, in a trap that they're already in. We talked about ethnic minorities kind of branded, you know, and, and therefore only, only, as it were, allowed that opportunity. Mm. Um, and, yeah... You
1: know. so did you ever did you ever go and direct any of these shows?
2: I, I shot um I did pick up shoots. Yeah, mm. I've been out in the What was the strangest
1: thing that ever happened on one of those shoots? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um uh well doing a uh let me think, uh doing actually on the first season I, I picked up uh tagged along with police and we were doing cocaine and crack. Busts with police, with, with police. <laughs> so we were filming. So, so we, we were film, filming with police. Um, and uh, um, there's a whole thing you know, you, you, you can't, um, when you, when you go in with, with uh, police on a search and seizure operation, so they're going on t- private property, yeah. They, under the terms of the uh, the warrant uh, issued by the judge, are allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you. As as a as a journalist or a, you know as a, as a as a filmmaker, cannot just assume you have the same rights of. Oh well, yeah, you can't go on the property, right? Going on the property, you know, you, you can't just, just just rock up and invade someone's privacy. Um, uh, police have authority from a judge to do that, and it's special. It, you know, privacy is guarded jealously, and 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 property rights are guarded jealously. Uh, and police have to get a warrant specific to yeah. that address at that time to go in for this reason, this yeah. probable cause. And and you, you are not a police officer. You're a you're a guy with a camera. So the the way you have to do it is they go in first, and. Weirdly, they they have to negotiate with the person, the people in the in the property, to say is it okay if the camera crew comes in, and then those people, if they say yes, have to sign a piece of paper. <laughs> and
1: then all this is happening while they're getting while they're getting busted. <laughs> oh,
2: shit. Um, and uh, in fact, uh, what w- w- what happened in this case was I, I was kind of uh, it was a kind of double whammy really because I was hovering on the on the on the. Uh, uh, on the outskirts of the property they went in and, and, and were arresting people and searching and doing their thing and, and I, I, was, I was approached by a guy in, in shirt sleeves and a tie he looked like a business guy and he said are you, are you the National Geographic film crew? and i said yeah wondering well, what's going to happen here is this a, an aggrieved neighbor who doesn't want the the, the neighborhood to be shut probably that was going to go down the toilet things, man yeah something like that right. and he said oh thank goodness you're here i'm from the i'm from the uh, property company that leases this 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 house um these guys have been squatting for months we've been trying to get them out and i'm just so glad you're here where where do i sign oh shit so he gave me and he said anything you want you've got full access you can go in I'm delighted you film it all you show them being being removed I want yeah. that so that was pretty unexpected and then so then oh, so I went in and was filming police and then uh, the guys were all laid down on the floor and they all had the cable ties on and so on and uh I was kind of hovering, thinking, well, I need to ask them, is it okay? Can I get a release to film them as well? Excuse me, you, you over there on the floor, yeah, handcuffed. On the floor, <laughs> yeah, handcuffed, is it okay? And, and this big SWAT guy comes over in full tack gear uh, with his mask on and everything, you know, and, and just says, uh, and I've got the piece of paper in my hand, and he says, is that the release? And I said, uh, yes, it is. He says, give it here, grabs it from my hand goes over to these guys and said, this guy's from National Geographic, he's filming for worldwide broadcast, sign here. <laughs> they thought it was hilarious. Oh, really? They all cracked up and they just thought it was so Did funny. Did they sign though? But they yeah, signed, they signed, up, signed it though, hey man. And they signed and it was, but, but it was like, um, it was like, oh, you've got to take these off me. Yeah, for to, to, I could sign. sign. And then they say, you try and run, you're in trouble. And he says, I won't run, I won't run. And he, and, he, and they did, and right, he did so. so it was okay.
1: Were, were there ever dudes that incrimin- incriminated themselves on, like, other crimes while they were talking to the camera? Because we used to sit there and go, why would these guys... I mean, I understand it's TV and everybody wants to be on TV. I mean, look at the fucking Britain's Got Talent and shit like that. Everybody be on TV for whatever. But these guys, obviously, the drug dealers, I guess... We we did I did hear a story from you that like dudes that knew each other would try to outdo each other on drugs. Inc. The,
2: the, the, yeah, I mean you know there, being there's, braggers. There's, yeah, there's there's a there's 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 a degree of that. As I say, I think people took part for for a bunch of reasons, um, and the reason that they that might be their trigger might be as they got into it then it might change um, as they got you know, more reflective, uh, as I was saying. So yeah, sometimes it was like, you know, ha, huh, you know, you know, I saw those guys last week and blah, 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 you know, listen, they ain't dealers, I'm a dealer, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you. So there's, 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 there's certainly a bit, a bit of that. But, but as I say, I mean, the point is that uh, a lot of the time these guys, nobody really listens to them. Mm. Nobody's interested in what they have to say, what they think of
1: anything the right price of know. fish yeah, yeah.
2: They, and, and we come along we come along with our English accents so that makes us but that
1: helped you guys bit, like, didn't that help yeah. you like immensely
2: oh uh, absolutely yeah. um, uh, because we, we're kind of rare animals you know in the hood it's Yeah. well I mean,
1: it's also you, they see white dudes or whatever they see dudes yeah. and they're like well this could be cops and then you start speaking they're like these guys aren't fucking cops
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. right away they know you you, you you. cannot be you cannot be part of the game yeah because that your voice yeah. gives okay. it away mm-hmm. But you also, our, our whole approach here is, you know, I, I, you just you just show them common respect and decency, you know, and you build trust that way. And you, you kind of, you know, at first they don't necessarily know what to make of you, and they might be suspicious, they might be a bit hostile, but that breaks down over time, and they realise you are genuine, and you're yeah. being transparent, and you're not, you know, you're not copping an attitude, you're not working an angle, and you just you just. And you're interested in what they want to say, and and, and that's rare. And and, the, and the, once they get going, they, they I think stuff starts coming out. I'll, it's I'll give, therapeutic, it, right? I mean, yeah. absolutely therapeutic. That is the word. That is the word. I, I, I'm I'm sure of it. That you know the mask helps because they can really they can be
1: a little anonymous, and they they're can
2: anonymous, use... and they can really just open up, and it's stuff they wouldn't tell their their their, 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 their you know their associates, their their, their gang bangers you, yeah, know, you can't, be, you can't be
1: insightful and sensitive to, to another guy in the or, cartel or, or, confe- yeah. or confess you know
2: the conflict that you you have yeah. uh, or just you know sometimes stuff comes out which which you just don't anticipate as well because everyone has an image as you were saying mm. what a drug dealer is and what motivates mm. them and what kind of mindset they have and I'll, I'll give you for instance we're interviewing a guy in East LA. Who um, his job was to pick up from uh, consignments from stash houses and then and then dry and drop them uh, around to you know regular customers so he'd literally drive around the city all day and, and he was always on the move and he was always picking up picking up picking up and um, in the middle of the uh, of the interview his his cell rings and he he, he cameras keeps rolling he says oh excuse me i'll just take this and and no first thing he says when the, when the phone rings is he, he gives you the the one liner that you expect a dealer to say he says when i hear that sound that's money talking
1: mm-hmm. yeah
2: fantastic thank you very much <laughs> great bite for tv we'll have that takes the call you know uh, a few grunts and, yeah uh, well, uh okay yeah sure yeah right puts it down and then he says, "You know what? Just once, I wish that phone would ring for me." But it never does. It, it only rings when people want something from me. And I, I, I hit. I fell on the ground when I when I heard that, because then you, it suddenly told you that this tough guy. This is all front, mm-hmm. and underneath, he's actually just a. a, a you know a 19 year old and he's he's lonely
1: yeah yeah he's sitting in a car all day and yeah. driving around drugs it, it doesn't it doesn't make for i, I guess good uh, good communities where you have like especially all these young kids that are trying to hide how they feel to be certain to fit yeah. into certain molds and stuff like that. even i mean obviously I was in East LA too i think i remember that dude hey, were there any like i think you remember you told me about one time a camera crew got their shit stolen and then some dude who was above the dudes that stole the shit were like, Yo, you give that shit back, and yeah. they did? Tell me that story. It's yeah. fucking crazy.
2: Uh, well, um, do you know, I can't really remember the detail of it too much. We didn't really have much
1: yeah, there wasn't that, much that bad shit much, happening, was there? Not no,
2: not much. But
1: isn't that because people knew the show and the reputation yeah. of the show, and they said, yeah. like, you know, they're not going to screw us over. They're actually going to let us talk. Yeah. Because you know, they're not going to be like, all right, now shut up. Here's what the cops say. Yeah. You know, that's and, important.
2: And we got that a lot, a sort of a, uh, a burning, uh, you know, a real kind of um, passion about, you know, People don't know what it's like. It's not like the movies. We'd hear this all the time. It's not like the movies. It's not like on TV. People don't know what it's like. And, and they were desperate to, to convey what it's like. And what it's like is chaos. <laughs> their, their, their lives. We, we, did, we did one show. We were following a dealer in, a, in Atlanta. Um, and his story was whatever goal he set himself that day he never could achieve because something came out of out of left field and just knocked inside of some shit came along he had to deal with. Yeah. And, and and that was his tragedy. He could never actually achieve anything that he wanted to. Yeah. You can you imagine living your life like that? It's the the, the stress of that, the frustration of it. You know, anything he wanted, whatever it was, yeah. he couldn't do because the phone went, and he had to go sort something out. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. The, that, I think that's what was the for me. Like you were talking about the human condition. That's the uh, that's the. It's probably one of the best shows that illustrate that. Yeah. You know, because it is. You see a lot of people, individuals, right, that are working for a, either the police department or some bad guys or whatever, and. Those little things are things like, holy shit, like that dude in particular, and the guy who's the the mule in East L.A., and it, it just, it, it goes all over, there was a guy, was it an Australian dude that we had to redo it because he got straight and he got a job? Mm-hmm. Remember that dude? We had to pixelate his face, and I had to come yeah. back in and do the stuff, we had to call him a different name and shit, because mm-hmm. at first he was like, oh, I'm a junkie, fuck it. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, you know, I pulled myself out of, yeah. out of the gutter, and you know, I, I yeah. would rather this not go out. And the fact that you guys were cool about that, I mean, most... Most TV shows be like, you know, fuck you. You yeah. know, you signed that release. You know, yeah. we're putting this yeah. out there and, and no, you know,
2: exactly. your well-being and, be damned. And, and we, we maintain contact, you mm. see. We don't, we, you know, when, when the filming's done or the show goes out. No, no, we we, we, we check up on folks just mm-hmm. see where they're at, how it's mm-hmm. going. You know, now, it, so Is so that
1: much. something that, like, because that's obviously how you are as a dude, right? I mean, it's not, like, like, if there was someone else there aside from you, it probably wouldn't have been as cool as that. I always found you being a very... I guess an even guy when it comes to like the good, the yin and the yang of the mm-hmm. drug zinc thing. Even when we did the the underworld thing, it's kind of like yeah, those are the cops, yeah, those are the bad guys, but it's we're all human beings. I think that's a that was the important balance I think that struck that show and made it so su- successful, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, I I, I think it's just I think it's just the way that you... there's more of a chance of that happening because we're 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 British. Yeah. Based, I mean, there's in the British TV culture the, 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 there's more uh, kind of care devoted to, to the folks. I mean, I'm not saying you know, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I doubt Even Simon Cowell actually gives a <laughs> fuck. <there's> somebody, somebody's <laughs> yeah. you know going to feel that they've been, been been badly treated by TV, and 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 you know, uh, I'm sure with justification, you know, but but the intention is there, the culture from which we're we, 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 you know we're drawn the the professional culture from which we're drawn is much more inclined to that so I I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of uh, put it all on me just you know if there was somebody else in my shoes it would be different no I don't I don't think it would be necessarily Uh,
1: that's that's good of you to say I mean kind of illustrates my point now how'd you get into TV anyway because I know that you were a musician you're you're a hella bass player now you're a drummer apparently
2: right yeah (laughs) Did I tell
0: you that? Yeah, you told me that about your kid
1: getting to go in the drums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm a drummer, it helps me with my timing.
2: It helps me, yeah, it helps me as a musician, actually, enormously learning how to play drums. Drums... Is it? Yeah. I mean, anybody thinks drummers are animals? Forget it. They are. Okay, well, I'm about they to. Say, I'm seeing most... Frank
1: on the weekend playing a gig, so I'll tell him. like, You know, not everybody thinks you're an animal. Frank. No, absolutely. Because
2: <laughs> he's not. He's not playing an instrument. He's playing an orchestra.
1: Yeah, I suppose you're right. You know, yeah. I mean, every limb is doing something different, right? It
2: is, and you've got to think about that, and you've got to to make a decision about why you're doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's the thing. And as many as many people give drummers a hard time, right? At least they are decisive. That's the thing, they don't lay back and go, man, 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 they'll do something, good or bad, but they'll do something. Yeah. So anyway, how did you get into TV?
2: So, well, uh, I, was, uh, I, was, I was playing a rock band. Um, this'll date me, uh, but, uh, so I was playing in a rock band. It was a s- straight ahead, three piece, guitar, rock. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Power trio, man. Power trio. I'm in one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and uh, in fact, the drummer, um, that, that we had who I went to school with it was a guy called Mel Gaynor who went on later to join a band called Simple Minds. He did alright Mel which is great because yeah. he's a fantastic musician and a really, really nice guy. And for a nice guy to finish first in the music industry that's yeah, rare. That, yeah. that, 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 that fills my heart with joy every time I feel think of it cool. because uh, he's a great guy. But So we were doing this band and then punk came along and suddenly we were we were just getting record company interest, and we were doing our own stuff, we were recording demos and stuff, we were playing and doing a lot of live work that's not wasn't a problem, mm. but record interest all, suddenly just fell away unless we became punks, and we weren't really wanting to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, see, the thing is, a lot of people think that, that everybody became a punk back in those days. They
2: didn't. No.
1: I, there was only a small bunch of punks, was, man. And they was, didn't really, you know...
2: It was tiny, and, and it, in my personal opinion, it was manufactured by the music press. Yeah. Uh, mainly because they were having falling circulation figures, mm. right? And they needed something. Um, and, and they generated it, and eventually it took off. But it needed a heck of a lot of help.
1: Oh yeah, they were otherwise, infusing a lot of money into that. I yeah, mean
2: otherwise it would have it would have it would have died the death. And, and you know and it, uh, but hey, um, so so we kind of fell apart as a band, or we decided to go our separate ways. And um, and I was at a loose end, and I heard about this training scheme that the BBC ran for research assistants. And I hadn't watched a TV for about four <laughs> years, you know. So I thought, well, I better. So I bought myself a little black and white TV set, you know, um, uh, off a market stall, and started watching TV and kind of filled out the forms and. Got asked for an interview and managed to kind of say whatever I said, I can't remember now, but it was it was pretty hardcore. There were like three interviews and then you had to write something like a script or something. Come up. (laughs) It sounds like nowadays too. You got you got to
1: show them everything that you could possibly do and then they'll think
2: about it. Yeah, and 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 then it was and it was for a training uh, uh, attachment they called it. So you got like two weeks of. Uh, of of intensive training and then you were let loose on working on programs but it was only like a one-year contract and mm-hmm. at the end of that time you had to get you apply again for, mm-hmm. so you you were looking for jobs coming up in the inside the BBC and, and and I was lucky to 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 get taken up and not everybody did on this course there were, there were people who got to the end and there was no job for them and that was in the mm-hmm. late 70s so uh, BBC is very different now, and, and does it all very differently. I th- I'm sh- I'm sure, but but uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and and then I got yeah, yeah, that's how I got into TV.
1: What, what were the kind of shows that you were doing research for? Anything interesting?
2: Um, oh, I did a, a wide variety of things. I mean, initially because you move from thing to thing to thing. Because mm-hmm. they're trying to find you, yeah. You know. Not only are you finding what you're into, but but also it, it's just to get the experience. Yeah. So I did all kinds of. Stuff which you know long ago, 40 you know, 35 years ago, so so long long forgotten. But, but the first I, I got involved in um, the first kind of generation of what, what, what were known as youth programs. So this is in the very early 80s, so it's Thatcher years, and you know, a lot of stuff going down. And we were making documentaries, but but aimed at, at, at a sort of teenage or young adult audience, so they were a little more hip than than um uh than the standard sort of documentaries at at the time and and just looking at it from youth perspectives so we were doing shows on racism at the time that the brixton riots happened uh we were doing you know protests over the whole cnd uh thing going on at the time you know of greenham common and the anti-trident cruise missile uh protests so you know, at the time, a hundred thousand people marched through the centre of London. We were doing unemployment at the time. The right to work marches were happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, animal rights. Um, we did a thing which turned me into a vegetarian. Wow! How long have you
1: you've been a vegetarian since then? Since
2: then, since wow. the mid eighties, yeah.
1: It wow. yeah. was that that powerful, huh?
2: Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was. Strangely, it, I mean, I was I was kind of moved by the 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 the, the argument that if uh, which is. Known as speciesism, which is like a kind of racism, but applied to the treatment of different species if if, if, if you can treat that the, you 're on the the, the the treatment of of animals which are after all sentient beings that can feel pain mm-hmm. and can apprehend that 's the thing that they 're aware you know an animal being led to slaughter knows it's it, something bad is going to happen, and that apprehension of uh, that, that fear of what's coming is, is a definition of sentience, of being self-aware, yeah, really. right? And if you can treat animals in battery farming um, uh, that the, we know they've been treated, uh, again I don't want to comment on practices now, this was 30 plus years ago, but you know at that time it was widely documented that an- battery farming was, was pretty horrific in terms of treatment of yeah, animals. Yeah that's on the same road as, as Auschwitz. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can psych yourself to, to treat sentient beings that way on the on the basis that they're somehow lesser than you... Yeah, well, yeah,
1: that's you, the, you, yeah, yeah. you end up... I see you, that line, yeah. You,
2: you end up at Auschwitz. And, and I, I was kind of moved by that. I, I thought, well, that, the logic of that, yeah, I, I get that. Um, but I was mainly, mainly, uh, out of self-interest, you could say, I was kind of... Um, Moved by, uh, I interviewed a guy called Mark Gold who'd written a book about about the, um, the way in which animals in 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 the food industry were are fed on sort of growth promoters, hormones, yeah, yeah, all antibiotics, all those additives. Mm. And I just thought, you know what? That that's what you're pumping into your body, and it's going to reduce your ability to deal. It's going to hit your immune system mm. if you're if you're imbibing small amounts of antibiotics all the time through the meat you eat mm. you know your system is going to going to be less resistant yeah. to, to stuff and I so I gave up meat and I didn't have a cold for three years you know, I was so, talking to
1: Ricky Gervais on one of these pods so, and he's yeah. he, I don't know if he's vegan I don't know if he's vegetarian yeah. are you vegan or vegetarian? Um, no
2: I'm vegetarian I, I, I can't quite Make the final link. link. But I'm with the the growth of, you know, I don't have a problem with soya and actually even GM because farmers and horticulturalists have been doing, have been modifying plants for thousands of years.
1: It seems like, it, 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 but, hey, you know, well, yeah. Well, that's kind of—it's more in the mainstream now than it was back when it first. When you were doing the show about it, right? Yeah, there exactly. weren't vegans no, just, or vegetarians. Or,
2: it was very, very rare. You know, there was cranks, there were people. There there
1: were people, good. and they were weirdos. Right? That's yeah. how they looked at it. Right? Yeah, exactly. it was really, like, you, you if you don't eat meat, you're you, a weirdo. You,
2: you couldn't buy soya soya products in the supermarket, you know, mm-hmm. like you can now. Or not soya if you don't like soya. You know, you've got hemp or you've got. Milk, you know, rice milk or, 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 or uh, well, I oat when, milk. Or, I had a you know. girl
1: that was that was vegetarian, and I remember she got me like a turkey sandwich from some place, right? And I'm eating the turkey sandwich, it was great, right? It's like, hey, you know, that's not really a turkey sandwich. I was like, well, whatever, it is, it's good. And it was like soy or something like that. Yeah, and it, poor, it, like, that, but that was like, I guess that was like the early '90s. I just got out of the Marine, so it was like you know, uh, it was just starting to kick it in New York. Yeah. When did all that stuff kind of? I mean, especially with, I guess, all the all the, I guess vegetarianism. I, I think the United Kingdom was kind of like on the on the cutting edge of that stuff, though, in the uh, early eighties.
2: Yeah, it was definitely around in the eighties. Yeah, yeah it, it was certainly. Um, I mean, I found it. Not too difficult to be... You know, it wasn't like suddenly my God, what am I going to eat? Yeah.
1: You weren't just sitting there eating vegetables. You were getting protein from places and things like that. Yeah, and
2: there were vegetarian cookbooks and stuff you could get. It's true. It wasn't widely available like in restaurants and stuff. Mm -hmm. And vegan, though, that was really...
1: See, I don't really know what vegan means. That's just nothing that was alive. You don't eat... well, Well, you can eat plants because... But, yeah.
2: Yeah. No. No. But yeah. But, but but no. animal products whatsoever. Okay. Not even eggs and things no, like that. No. Not eggs. Yeah. Not not dairy. not no fish. Cheese, yeah. fish, yeah. No, nothing. Um, and then and also in baking as well, because obviously if they've used, mm. you know, butter or anything like that in or animal fat of any kind, so there's no animal fat in in anything um, you eat. So you're going to be you know uh, nuts, fruits, veg, nuts, pulses.
1: So you, i mean so you you did this show back in the day, and it kind of got you into this idea, right? Did any other yeah. shows that you worked on kind of have the same effect on you
2: uh well, the other one would be which is the same period actually in the eighties was um uh, I devised a show called rock School which, which is before all the <laughs> all the jack black movies and which the... is which is possibly why... I'd, Jack Black's movie was called School of Rock, and not Rock School,
1: because <laughs> there, <laughs> there was a copyright on it. There was
2: copyright. BBC trademarked that uh, name, uh, as I understand it. So, um, but the the idea was, um, I, I just took, took my experiences of learning to play in, in a band, mm. and thought, well, nobody's ever really done anything on TV. TV seemed like a good medium for for. Uh, Uh, Conveying uh, our our, our kind of slogan was that the techniques, the technology, and the musical vocabulary you need to play in a band, no matter what the style or instrument. Mm. Okay, that was our ambition.
1: That's pretty, that's a big brush, man. That's pretty cool, though.
2: We did 13 shows and we we, we got there, we we, we got a long way down the road to, to doing it, and the idea was to how to play in a band, really. Um, and and we looked at, first series looked at guitar, bass and drums and how they work together uh, to produce different styles of music, uh, starting with real basics, so tuning, you yeah, know, and yeah. stuff.
1: that so, so people don't know how to do nowadays anyway. Yeah, <laughs> quite, <laughs> you have some shit that's not even quite, in tune, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And this is, let's say, this is 1983. And, and uh, it was a studio-based show and I, I found these uh, uh, musicians... Um, uh, who could play lots of different styles and kind of put them together as a kind of studio band and, and they're the presenters of the show and they're demonstrating their and they devised a whole bunch of sh- s- small licks and chunks of portions of songs or chunks uh, riffs or whatever to play together to illustrate different aspects of style, how yeah. the bass and the drums might fit together yeah. um you know uh but also those techniques involved so string bending and hammering on and pulling off and you yeah. know stuff like that use yeah. of pedals and effects um, and uh, but then we intercut that mm-hmm. with a whole bunch of interviews with with a, uh, anyone who talked to me in the world of rock so we, we got a, an amazing uh, contribution from a whole range of top players so in the in the in the, in the, in the in sort of bass which is my instrument we got Bootsy Collins damn John Entwistle oh wow um Larry Graham. Larry Graham,
1: yeah. You know, best in the world, right?
2: A uh, guy called Lee Rocker. Who, yeah, I know Lee Rocker. You know, right? yeah, yeah, Rock. He was
1: in, in Stray Cats, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stray Cats. Upright, yeah.
2: Upright, and he, he came in and demonstrated slap bass, wow. right? and Which he did.
1: Did he climb on the bass? I, I love that. that. He, <laughs> climbed he, did, the
2: whole, on he <laughs> did the whole thing and he nailed it. Like, yeah. He
1: was great. Um, he was in a band, I think it was the, um, the, him and the drummer was it. And then Earl Slick, the guitar player, used to play with Bowie? Bowie was it, yeah. Was it Rocker, Slick? Something, something Rocker and Slick. And it was, I, I, you know, so whoever's listening to this, Google me. <laughs> Google it and let me know, man. Yeah, so it seems like with that show, right, was that... It seems like a lot of stuff that that you do. You have to be personally connected with, right? Is that how you how you go about doing your professional stuff?
2: Uh, well, those are the you ask me the standouts. Yeah, yeah well, in between there are lots of others. Yeah, but yeah. I, I always what I try and do is find a personal connection. Yeah. Yes, I, I don't, if you don't get excited by by it, by what you're mm-hmm. doing, it will show.
1: Yeah,
2: the the viewers get it. The TV is incredibly filmmaking, whatever you call it, it's an incredibly organic thing and, and it's very human and, and people see so much and they're, they're so attuned to, to the nuances of it that if there's boredom in what you've done, it mm. will convey. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's so true, man.
2: And, and uh, it must be in music too. So. Oh
1: yeah, I mean, it's it, it exactly the same way too. If You know, you, you, we hear so much crappy music and we see so much crappy TV, then when we see something that's actually not crappy, oh. we take real notice of it. But I was always of the school of, like, life is too short to listen to shitty music. Life is too short to watch shitty TV, right? Yeah. And the way to do that is actually when you find something that you connect with. Yeah. You know, as you say, people are very attuned to things. They can smell bullshit a mile off. Yeah. So I, especially, you know, the shows that people are into making are the ones that are going to rise above the ones that they have to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because a, like, a lot of famous actors do shitty movies so they can make, they make like, four shitty movies so they can make the one they want to make. Yeah. You know, and that's I and mean, then that's kind of a lot of people do things like that.
2: Yeah, but but the the, the trick is, I find anyway, is you, you've always got to find something mm-hmm. that excites you that you can connect with. Yeah. So whatever the whatever the the topic the subject right. is, or whatever, you know whatever it is you're having to do, you've got to find the thing that, that that presses your button that you go, wow, okay, I can get I can get with this. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you, you you don't want to make boring stuff. You don't want people to 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 uh, to share to share your you know that's not a way to be it's,
1: yeah no I hear you and that's I, I guess that's how you are as a dude that's how I am as a dude yeah I know it's, it's we I, I mean I guess you know a lot of people who just do shit to do shit because they have to do it right yeah. and they're like you know like, you can do that if you choose to but that's why I work with you is because you don't choose to do stuff like that you know
2: yeah and uh, you know and and you kind of owe it to them yeah you know don't just don't just go through the motions, you know. Well, it's I think creative industry yeah. create.
1: Yeah, exactly. And also, there is people do have a contempt for audience, and I don't know where that comes from. It, it happens in music, it happens in television, everywhere. Like whoever the people are, people don't like the people that like them. It's terrible, man. It's I don't get it. It's some kind of weird, weird thing in the society today where we're Freud. kind of, yeah, exactly. Well, dude, I, I appreciate you sitting and talking with me, though, man. I think we got yeah, we got a whole bunch of stuff. Oh shit, we got like an hour, bro. Damn. <laughs> i Chris well hey dude I hope to see you soon man. good catch
0: up
1: pretty awesome huh I'm glad I got to share some of the craziness with you it's seriously an education narrating that show now in case you missed it you can catch Drugs Inc. on Netflix it's all over the place so okay next week we got a doozy for you you know how I like to share my behind the scenes connections well I feel this dude might be one of the ultimate behind the scene kind of guys now I met him recently while driving a Lamborghini around London And he was my chaperone. And maybe you've heard of a show he worked on. It's something called Top Gear. Yes, my friends, next week on Huey Off the Record, it's race and stunt driver Ben Collins, also known as the Stig. Yeah, it's an awesome episode. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you don't. And get yourself subscribed and on your favorite podcast app like iTunes or Acast. They're just waiting for you, friends. Until then, y'all stay
0: classy.